Thank you, brothers and sisters. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, we are going to be at the end of chapter 9. Thank you, brothers and sisters. So kind of you guys. It is a joy to be with you. And as you turn there, I just want to express my thankfulness and my gratitude to all of you. Uh, it, it's just so sweet, even just walking in, before I even made it into the building, just seeing familiar faces and, and saying, hey, how are you doing? It's been years, or it feels like. And so just good to see you. Some of you, forgive me if I don't recognize you, half the time I can't see with the mask, and then half the time my glasses are fogged up and I can't even see anybody. So forgive me if I walk by you and don't say hi. Uh, I'm not, I promise I'm not being, trying to be rude or mean or anything, but as an extension of LifeGate Church in Seguin, uh, part of our family of churches, and then, by God's grace, this church plant in San Antonio, uh, which up to this point we're calling Mission City Fellowship. Um, just as an extension of those folks, uh, I just want to let you know just what a joy it is to be in partnership with you, to be in partnership, to be in fellowship. You, Redemption Hill Church, have been a, a real great source of encouragement to our region in many, many ways. Uh, just a wonderful gospel partnership and fellowship for many years now, uh, whether it be through retreats. Uh, Sagina's had the joy of joining you guys in, in retreats we've done regionally, both hosted here and hosted in Seguin. So whether it be youth retreats uh, or other retreats, conferences, and even hurricanes just fellowshipping with you, laboring side by side with you. Um, it has been a joy in seeing this be a church plant. I remember the day when John came and preached in Seguin and there was a, a group of you and just the joy that that was. And now to come and see this and knowing that there are many others on live stream that I know would long to be here. So it is a joy to be with you and to see you almost just mature as a church and gathering and just being faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I just want to express on behalf of LifeGate, on behalf of Mission City Fellowship, thank you. And you are loved. Even in these tough times, your presence is, is made known all by the grace of God, all boasting in Christ, right, at work in you. Um, just the, the presence that you have, even recently, a few weeks ago, we had our uh, regional assembly of elders where all the pastors in our region and Sovereign Grace Churches gathered together. And your pastors, as an extension of you, you, I wish you guys could just see them, how well they lead, how well they care for even other pastors. They in, are an incredible encouragement and an extension of you. And then not only them, have we felt their incredible just care, but as John mentioned a second ago, just an extension of you, there's already been a family that's committed to the church plan, has already moved there, is already living in the area that later on in the message, at the end of the message, I'm gonna share about the area. And they've already just been a great encouragement. Uh, just, we've been able to care for one another. In fact, Friday, my family lost our 12-year-old wonderful dog, and we were brokenhearted, and all of a sudden, I don't even know how he, he caught wind, but the husband of this family reached out to me and just extended care, and I, I just thought, Lord, how kind are you? How kind are you? Even in losing a family pet, we extend care to one another. So it's been sweet. It has been sweet. Your sacrifice, your love in the midst of our region, you contribute you pour in, and it is felt, and we're thankful for you. So, brothers and sisters, thank you. And can I join you in saying, all glory be to Christ. Amen? Ah, amen. Well, in light of that, this season has been a very difficult season for all of us, hasn't it? That's kind of an understatement, right? Uh, it, it's been a very difficult season in a number of ways. It has been difficult, whether it be navigating sickness and, and having to navigate the difficulties of social distancing or navigating all the very difficult social tensions that we're, we're feeling and, and how we respond to all of that. Even navigating this season, I, I didn't... <laughs> 
I'm already just a simple guy, but now I'm having to press in even harder because now you're having to, to really navigate words and definitions of words and how you apply those words. And it's just, it's just a different season, a very difficult season. And then on top of that, you throw in an always difficult season in regards to unity and you have an election year. Oh boy. Oh boy. I think this is uh, enough probably to make you want to become a hobbit, right? <laughs> just tuck away. Just want to tuck away. I just want to get away, right? I want to get away from people right now. That's why it's such an encouragement to see this right here, gathering together. Very encouraging. But we can be tempted right now to hide away from people, to just get away. All these situations I just listed involve people, right? And in some ways, that's what can make the moment encouraging and get through it. And in other ways, that's what can make the moment discouraging and hard. We're all dealing with people, with one another, a variety of people. So there are a variety of opinions and a variety of emotions and a variety of beliefs and a variety of sins and, and, and a variety of stink, right? The more we're together, the more you're around me, the more I'm around you, the closer we get, eventually we will become aware of one another's stink, both metaphorically and at times literally, right? Uh, metaphorically and literally. The odds are for many of us as we ponder people groups, especially in this season, thoughts and feelings of disdain, impatience, irritation, maybe even anger and avoidance can rush over us, can't it? But as Christ's people, something we must guard against is our heart's disposition towards others, towards people, people groups in this season. We must guard our hearts. We must guard our disposition towards people from teetering, from missional gospel ministry flowing through a compassionate heart that reflects the compassion of Christ on one side to stone-cold disdain and avoidance on the other side. We must guard the teetering there. So thinking about gospel mission and church planting among people in a fallen world in the midst of difficult times may not be something that's on your heart at the moment. It may not be something that's at the forefront of your mind. I'm just trying to make it through this time, right? Let alone think and pray about going else, going somewhere else, uh, or giving to need somewhere else. I'm just trying to make it through my own need here. Um, so it can be a hard season. But I believe today, I believe the Lord wants to remind us of something. I believe the Lord wants to remind us of his powerful, authoritative ministry to the crowds of people that flows through his heart of incredible compassion for the lost and how he longs for his people, his church, you and I, those in Seguin, those in San Antonio, those in Midland, those in Pearland, those in El Paso, how he longs for us to share both in his good news ministry and action, his work among fallen people of the world, but doing it as we share in his shepherd's heart of compassion. The very love we sang about this morning, song after song. And then I hope to have time uh, to, at the end, share about how then, flowing out of the passage we're in today, how I believe the Lord is compelling us to go to San Antonio for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel and the building of his church. And I do hope that today, I know there is nothing I can do and say that can stir you up and put faith inside of you, but I believe in a sovereign God that through his word proclaimed, maybe, just maybe, there may be some more in this room who all of a sudden feel a stirring of gospel compassion to go to a place they've maybe never even seen yet. So I'm praying for that. I've been praying for you, okay? 
So I expect many of you, no, 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 just joking. I expect many of you afterwards to talk to me about this, okay? No, no, joking. Let's read, brothers and sisters, Matthew chapter 9, verses 38 through 35 through 38. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Well, beginning in verse 35, it's as if Matthew zooms out to show us the big picture ministry of Jesus. Uh, That's really what we see here in verse 35, the ministry of Jesus. He's basically summarizing what he's already been showing in the previous chapters before this passage. So if you even look through your Bible up to this point, Matthew has been highlighting the incredible, powerful, and authoritative ministry of Jesus. And his ministry has resulted in story after story of the incredible power and all-encompassing authority of Jesus displayed. And if you look through it, whether it be his resisting the greatest temptations of Satan in the wilderness, or his word going forth and calling fishermen and a tax collector to him, and in that moment at the power of his word and his irresistible call of Christ, they drop everything and follow. Or his healing of disease and sickness, those with broken bodies, the blind, the paralyzed, those with leprosy, healing them, setting free those oppressed and tormented by demons, even raising to life a little girl that had died, and at his word, causing a wild and unruly storm to be calm. And among these miraculous moments of the rule of Christ being displayed over Satan, over creation, and even over death in the middle of it all, Jesus teaches. The wonderful preacher Charles Spurgeon would say that Christ in in this moment, in these passages, he's expounding the old and proclaiming the new. Jesus is teaching and applying the truth of God in unmatched wisdom, knowledge, understanding and application and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God the, so the rule of God the salvation purposes of God the good news that the kingdom has come near to a sin-stricken and broken world in a way no one expected in the person and work in the face of Jesus Christ the God man so in summary Matthew describes Jesus' ministry, his work, as teaching the kingdom, proclaiming the kingdom, and displaying the kingdom's power, and all of it involves people. All of it involves people. And what I love in this account of what Jesus is doing, it's included where he's going, where he's going to do all of this ministry doing. Brothers and sisters, if, if you've been around me at all, if you've gone to a youth retreat, if you've gone to other retreat conferences, and I happen to catch a conversation with you, you probably walk away and say, wow, that guy's kind of simple. <laughs> He's simple-minded. He, he gets amazed at simple things. Um, and, and brothers and sisters, I hope that I never lose that, to be honest with you. I hope I never lose being amazed at the simple things, which are the profound things of the ministry of our Savior. So we're told in Matthew's account of the ministry of Jesus that he's going, quote, 
throughout all the cities and the villages. He's going everywhere. He's not just going to the cool up and coming places. He's not just going to the cool up and coming places. He's going to the St. Antonio's. He's going to the Round Rocks. He's going to the Georgetowns. And he's going, praise the Lord, to the Seguins. Oh, Praise the Lord for that, right? Brothers and sisters, I've lived in Seguin for 12 years. Before that, I was in Midland uh, with Billy Rays at his church. And I've lived in Seguin for 12 years, and we live in the country out there. Even my home is somewhat in the country. I live two minutes from the church there in Seguin. And man, it can feel like the world overlooks you, right? We don't even have a Chick-fil-A. We don't even have a Chick-fil-A. Every city has a Chick-fil-A, right? We don't even have a Chick-fil-A. Brothers and sisters, praise the Lord that even though Chick-fil-A overlooks the small, praise the Lord, he does not. Amen. I know that's a silly way, but I'm a simple guy, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord, he does not overlook us. Both big and small, villages and cities, he is going to people. The work of Christ, the ministry of Christ aimed at people. Not just a place. Not just a cool place, not just a place that has good weather, not just a place where, man, you know, we can just live it up, lots of fun things to do. He goes to the big and the small, the villages and the cities, those who otherwise would be forgotten. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I know this is a simple point to make, brothers and sisters, but I do think, I do think, because I know I have been tempted towards this at times. I do think there are times we want to participate in the ministry of Christ. We want to do the work of Christ. We want to participate in the ministry of Christ as long as it doesn't include people. Right? (laughs) That's a good response. I'm glad you guys laughed at that. We want the ministry of Christ, but sometimes we live like we want the ministry without the people. We want gospel ministry. Lord, save. Oh, yeah, people. We can especially wrestle with that, especially with people or places that are different from us. People that irritate me. People with coffee breath. Don't talk to me. It's a good thing we have masks right now, brothers and sisters, because I'm the worst at coffee breath. People or places that aren't appealing to what I like. Or even sometimes, well, that's kind of the weird guy over there. He says some things every once in a while. We're continuationists, but we're not that continuationists, right? People can seem like a hindrance to ministry, but brothers and sisters, I love that even in the overview that Matthew gives in one verse, he's highlighting the ministry of Christ is aimed at people. I think the disciples would have been confronted with this when they're with him. They're on his tail. They're like, yes, Lord, teach us. We're learning. This is incredible. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, I want to take my ministry to Samaria. What? Jesus, we don't, we don't go to those people. Let's just stay over here with these people. And Jesus says, I want to take my ministry to Samaria. And he goes and he meets a woman at a well who is given over to sin, who is the outcast of society in the middle of the day and makes her a child of the living God. And she, and what's the response? What's the response that she has, brothers and sisters? What's her response? Because Jesus cares about the big and the small, the village and the city. What's her response? She goes back to her city, to her overlooked and despised people, and tells everybody about the wonderful, supremely good Jesus. Praise the Lord for simple points that Jesus goes to villages and cities. Amen? 
Matthew does this zoomed out overview look at the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom come in the person and work of Christ as he's teaching, he's proclaiming and displaying the kingdom in all power and authority and glory to God, bringing it to bear on the hearts of people. And now it's as if Matthew pumps the brakes and he slows down in the following verse. And he begins to zoom in. If you've ever been to Fort Davis, uh, the Fort Davis Mountains, there's the McDonald's Observatory there. Very cool. If you've never gone, very cool place. One of the things, uh, I've seen it, I don't even know how many times, but they have this video they've been showing there, maybe the last 25, maybe longer years, okay? Uh, So maybe it was impressive. I don't know if it'll still be impressive, but just go with an open heart, okay, if you ever go see this thing. This video, it starts off, and they zoom out, and it's as if you have this wide-angle view of the universe, and you're just seeing and you're amazed at the universe and the vastness of it, and then all of a sudden, the cool thing about this video is it begins to zoom in, and it zooms into the atmosphere, and then it zooms through the clouds, and, and then it zooms over the United States, and then it zooms into a city in the United States, and then all of a sudden you see this person, and the, the camera just keeps going, and there's this person in a park, and the camera just zooms right into them, as if you could just see inside of them. That's what Matthew's doing. That's what Matthew's doing here. He gave us a wide angle lens and view. And this is what Matthew's doing. He's been moving quickly, showing us all the action, all this work, all this ministry, and then zooms in so we can see in verse 36, the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. And it is pivotal with the work with the ministry of Jesus. And I do believe it is both to encourage us as we are reminded how Christ looked upon us. What was his heart towards those in this room? What was his heart towards those in our helpless estate? And then I believe it's to compel us as we are now joined with Jesus in his work. So to encourage us how he looked upon us and and to compel us as we are joined with him in his work, in his ministry of people. So we're told that Jesus, in verse 36, sees the crowds of people in front of him. Now, brothers and sisters, these are large crowds. Cities and villages of people are coming to him. At one point, we know at least 5,000 people are standing in front of him. People. These are people with a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different problems, a lot of different sin issues, a lot of different stink. Christ aware of them all, and he looks upon the crowds of people, and he's moved to compassion for them. And why? Because he sees them as harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. Rob, thank you for sharing that. Psalm 23, brother. I believe that was just the kindness of the Lord to apply both sermon and song. We can't overlook, this is a small passage, this is a small text, but we can't overlook this moment in the text. This has been preserved for us by the Lord throughout history so that we could read it today and be amazed at our incredibly powerful yet incredibly kind Savior. And it is to stir our affection for our Savior who has looked upon us in this way. And as we see his disposition towards people, I believe it is to inform our disposition towards people. The picture is like shepherdless sheep. 
And that's never a good equation. Sheep aimlessly going about life, no one to care for them, no one to lead them, no one to guard them from wild beasts. And so they are wounded and broken, harassed, aimless. And they've been walking through the thorn bushes, thinking they're walking in wisdom, following the prince of the power of the air who leads them through thorn bushes. In the thorn bushes of the spiritual pits of devastation and brokenness. The visual language used is like an animal cast down onto its side. Picture it, brothers and sisters. Picture an animal, rib cages showing, cast down onto its side, weary, exhausted, parched, laid over, basically waiting to die. No way of saving themselves. No ability. Helpless. And they're not just physically broken, right? That's one of the big arguments we're hearing right now, right? Is, is the world sees the physical brokenness, but it, they stop short in their remedy. The world sees physical brokenness, but is trying to fix brokenness with a broken bandage. Jesus sees far deeper than just the physical brokenness. He sees the spiritual devastation of people. He sees the spiritual devastation that sin has in the lives of people. It's Ephesians chapter 2. The implications of being those in bondage to sin, disobedient to God, following Satan, deserving the wrath of God, needing a mediator, needing a redeemer, needing a savior, needing a good shepherd. Unable to redeem themselves, unable to mediate for themselves, unable to take care of the problem of sin upon themselves. And Jesus looks out and he sees them and he's aware of them. He's aware of their need for the good shepherd that he is, to lead them to green pastures and restful waters. I praise the Lord this morning we could say those words. I love how we said it too. As a sheep, calling out to the shepherd, you, you are my shepherd, I shall not want. He looks upon the people of the lostness of the world and he sees they cannot say those words yet. They need a shepherd to lead them to green pastures and restful waters away from the thorn bushes to guard them from the evil one to be with them and comfort them to refresh and restore their their weary souls to lead them in paths of righteousness jesus sees this and feels deeply for them these crowds are helpless and harassed sheep without a shepherd let me ask you brothers and sisters do we see people that way or do we just see that is there, there's someone just on the other side of the argument? Do we see people the way Jesus sees people and feels for people? Jesus sees their eternal, helpless state, and he has compassion. And this kind of language is more than just he was merely emotionally moved. It's more than that. It's more than just he was merely emotionally moved. It's more than just like he saw a commercial and his eye just kind of one tear and then he goes and makes a, a cheese and mayonnaise sandwich. You know, it's more than that. It's, it's deeper to him. It's a physically affecting description that Matthew is trying to give of what Jesus is feeling. It is deep in the pit of who you are. I, I call it this pain of affection. It's a pain of affection. Literally, it's to feel in your innards. That is this compassion that Jesus is feeling. It's this deep, angst, compassionate response when he looks at the people in the crowd and he sees them helpless and harassed, sheep without a shepherd. He has a deep, 
burden and brokenness over the brokenness of the people in front of him. And brothers and sisters, out of all of history, the history of humanity, there is only one person who could turn his nose at the sin stink of people, rightfully so, and it is Jesus. But not even Jesus does that. He has compassion. I think a way for us to just try to grasp and to try to understand this, this, what this compassion is trying to, to speak and to say is when you think about someone that you love dearly, maybe you've lost someone or something's happened to them and you're overcome by the pain of affection and it's like you feel sick. A moment I can recall in my life of just saying, how can I better understand this? And I thank the Lord, he, he, he's explaining to us. He's, he's, Matthew is helping us see Jesus, the God-man, the feeling of emotion. Two years ago, my little girl, actually it was right before a youth retreat that you guys hosted here, and I had to preach on joy, the joy of the gospel. And like a couple weeks before, my daughter, Hope, she was one year, one year old at the time, all of a sudden we're now just getting ready for bed, and she, she stops breathing and is laying on the floor. And so we start the process of CPR and those types of things. And that began this process of in and out of the hospital for a couple days and then back at the hospital and in San Antonio Children's Hospital. And there's this moment, they're, they're, they're hooking everything up on her, they're having to do these tests and I'm there and my wife is there and, and we're having to stand in front of her and, and they're going to have to put her under, and to do that kindly in a, in a way that serves her, they had to stand right in front of her and just hold her little hands and, and just look at her face to face, and, and we just spoke to her and just trying to bring her peace and, and a calming heart and, until she went limp. And immediately they rush us out of the room, and, and I remember all of a sudden it was just we're standing outside of the room, and my wife and I are there, and, and we're overcome by the pain of affection, of seeing our little girl helpless. Nothing we could do in that moment, nothing we could pull her out of in that moment. And I remember just walking away from that. As we didn't know even where to go. We just started walking. And I remember just holding like this, just feeling the pain of affection. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't think that probably comes close to Christ's affection for the lost sheep. But I do think that's how Matthew's trying to help us understand and appropriately so the, the Lord is trying to help us catch a glimpse of the heart he has for the lost sheep to have a shepherd. Jesus, God in human flesh, reveals to us his deep-rooted compassion for the lost sheep to have a shepherd. And it's a compassion I do believe he is calling us to share in. I don't think that we'll have a heart for the gospel to go forth, especially in difficult times and in difficult places or among difficult people, we won't have a heart for the gospel to go forth if we look at people with disdain. Unworthy of my consideration. And we're, we aren't presently aware of them being helpless and harassed, spiritually devastated like sheep without a shepherd. And then join Jesus in seeing them and feeling for them how he feels for them. He, he wants his people to share in this together with him. And I believe we see that in verses 37 and 38 when Jesus gives a call. He, it's, it's the call of Jesus. So we saw the ministry of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, now the call of Jesus. Jesus is going to call his people to something, to respond a certain way now. 
He's, he's going to call them to something. So Matthew has shown us the ministry of Jesus, the heart of Jesus towards the lost. And now here is what you do with that. Here's what you do with that. Jesus now turns to his disciples, to his people, and calls them to something. And here's what we all expect, right? We're, we're reading, and, and you expect him to say, okay, these crowds of people, they're like the harvest of people. And you know what? You just go now. Get, get up, gather your things, and go. Go into the harvest. That's what we expect him to say. You've seen the work you want to participate in the work. You've seen my heart. Now go. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what he says. He says this. The harvest is plentiful. So there are crowds of people waiting to hear the gospel, and they don't even know it. Waiting to hear. They don't even know it. Waiting to hear the voice of the good shepherd call out, and by the Spirit of God at work in them to open their ears. They don't even know it, but there's a harvest plentiful, crowds of people waiting to hear the gospel, but the laborers are few. Therefore, okay, here it is, right? Here's where he says, go. The harvest is plentiful, go. You've seen my work, you've seen my heart. Now you go. Nope. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. I think it's the wonderful providence of God that next week you will be devoting yourselves to praying earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Instead of immediately sending them out, he tells them to pray earnestly. And I love the words the Lord has chosen to have in our Bibles, brothers and sisters. I love it because they are so rich with depth and meaning. And although sometimes the English translation doesn't quite capture the beauty and the depth of these words, it's like saying, Love versus amor. Whoa. This word for praying earnestly really is, it's not just, hey, you saw Jesus doing it and, and you see his heart, so now you just, just you know, kind of casually ask him to send people out. There is no casual about praying earnestly. The word for praying earnestly, it, it really is a pleading, a pleading that springs out of deep need, a begging that springs out of urgent neediness, feeling the need, feeling the urgency, and pleading, begging, feel the need and pray. It's not casual. It's not casual. A beautiful, brothers and sisters, a beautiful example of this, of pleading out of deep neediness, of, of recognizing the urgent need, recognizing the neediness, and then responding in pleading is the man in Luke who was tormented by a legion of demons tormented, made a mockery, living outside of his home, living in the wilderness. Everybody's afraid of him. He can't think right. He's, he's terrifying people. And Jesus comes to him. No one could set him free. No one could heal him. And Jesus comes and sets him free at his word. And you know what his response is in Luke 8? He says we get a picture of him bowed at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, begging to stay with him, begging to stay in the presence of this wonderful, sweet Savior, seeing the need. I know what I was before you, and I need you, Jesus. There is no life apart from you. I need you. A sheep with a shepherd 
That is the praying earnestly. We recognize the need. And we say, Lord Jesus, there are people who will not know you as I have known you unless you do something. Unless you move, stir in people, send out laborers, Lord. For my good even. I feel it. I'm pain for it. I'm hurting for it. I want you to be glorified among the nations. And the only way that can happen, Lord, is as you draw people so that their lips will sing your praise and their hearts rejoice in you. You must do a work, Lord Jesus. I love that picture of the man set free begging at the feet of Jesus. It's feeling the urgency and depths of the need and pleading to the Lord of the harvest. Lord, send people and gather to you, your sheep. Awaken them, bring them from death to life. Send the power of your spirit, regenerate them. Open their ears to hear your voice as we proclaim the gospel. And send us. I think even, I'm sure you guys will talk more about this, I think even just growing and feeling the urgency and depth of need happens in prayer. Prayer submits our mind, heart, and desires to the Lord. And it's in prayer by the power of the Spirit accompanied by the truth of His Word where the Lord begins to transform our mind, heart, and desires. I think in Mike Bullmore's words, he would say the mind, heart, and will conforms us to the mind, heart, and will of God. The way we see, think, and feel about things in prayer is made to better reflect our Savior's way of seeing, thinking, and feeling when we pray. Before Jesus sends his people out, he calls them to pray earnestly. He calls them, he wants them to share in the urgent feeling of need, the urgent compassion for the lost, to not just be, because here's the danger, here's the danger. If we try to separate them, here's the danger, to become theologically savvy yet stone-cold-hearted gospel proclaimers. But he longs for his people to be Theologically savvy, yes. Tender-hearted gospel proclaimers. How often are we praying for that? I'm often praying, Lord, go forth in power, Lord. Do the miraculous, Lord. We want to see just gifts poured out all over the place, Lord. I want to see that. I want to see you move in power, Lord. Do it, Lord, do this. But how often, how often are we praying, Lord, transform my heart to love what you love? Bart, I love what you prayed, brother. Give us the love of Christ. How often are we praying that, Lord, transform my heart to love what you love, to feel for what you feel, to have compassion for the lost that reflects your compassion, and flowing out of that, asking this, Lord, send laborers, and if you are calling me to be a laborer, theologically savvy, maybe, hopefully growing in that, but tender-hearted gospel proclaimer. Send me where you want me. If it's Georgetown and it's here to remain faithful, but to be a faithful, theologically savvy, tender-hearted gospel proclaimer, let me be that, Lord. But if it's in San Antonio, give me faith. Give unity to my leaders as I talk with them through this process, and then send us out, Lord. Send us out. Give us faith. Brothers and sisters, pray earnestly.
and be ready to go. Be ready to go to the 7-Eleven when you're filling up gas and share the gospel. Be ready to go into the other room as you're parenting your children and be ready to share the gospel and gospel mission and be ready to pack up and move and sell your things and move to a place that's unfamiliar for the sake of the gospel. And then what I love is, in closing, we see in the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus calls his people to pray earnestly. And we know if Jesus tells us to pray for something, he's going to tell us to do something according to the will of the Father. And in 1 John, he says, if you pray according to the will of the Father, you know you have your requests, right? So they, they pray earnestly. And what does Jesus do in chapter 10, verses 1 and 5? Jesus calls his disciples to him. He summons them, and he sends them. He sends them out in mission to go with the heart of Christ, to do the ministry work of Christ, to go and proclaim the life-giving good news message of the gospel, to be proclaimers, carriers, proclaimers of the kingdom. They pray, and he sends, and they go. Amen, brothers and sisters. I am so compelled by this. That's what church planting is. And you know this. You know this. You, I'm, I'm, like spe I'm like preaching to the choir. You guys know this kind of stuff. You know it. This is what church planting is, brothers and sisters. And, and I'll tell you, I, and along with the group, the small group, but the group nonetheless that we have already, we have this heart. We are compelled by this. A longing to see sheep gathered to the shepherd. Whether they be sheep who have never heard the shepherd's voice. And as we go forth in the gospel proclaiming ministry that he gives us, he calls them. Or sheep on the flip side who haven't been cared for and nourished and growing and discipled. We want to see the sheep gathered to the shepherd to go and take the gospel where there is little to no gospel presence. And that's why we long to go to San Antonio. That's why San Antonio is a city of 1.5 million, and 43% of the city have no connection to Christ. It's a city that has a religious history. The majority of it would be Catholic. It has Catholic remnants. There are several missions popped up throughout the area. In fact, the area, the south side, where we're looking to be, has the missions. It's the mission trail. So as you drive, you see these incredibly beautiful, but incredibly cold, uh, and just stone buildings that reflect the 1700s Catholic mission all throughout the area. So 43% of the city's non-religious, even out of the other 57%, it doesn't mean that they know Jesus. It doesn't mean that they know Jesus. It just means they have a religious background. The majority of the 57% of the religious would fall in the category of Catholic, Roman Catholic, at least nominally. There are communities of 28,000 people in San Antonio, neighborhoods packed together of around 28,000 people, and this is just wild to me, with either little or no biblically sound, faithful, gospel-preaching church. Only 16.8% of the churches in San Antonio would be considered what we would say Protestant evangelical. So meaning they would hold to at least four things. And as you hear these things, I hope you, you sense like, wow, who wouldn't believe in that? But only 16.8% would affirm these four things. Listen to this. They believe the Bible is inerrant and the authority of the church. Believe salvation is through faith in Christ alone. Believe you must experience a transforming work of the Spirit, regeneration. And believe salvation comes through hearing the gospel. So the church must proclaim the gospel to all people. Only 16.8% of churches in San Antonio would affirm those things. And as you know, there are many more things to affirm outside of that. Only 
0.8%. And the numbers get even smaller when you begin to consider churches that would hold to the important values that we would hold to. The numbers shrink dramatically. If you get online and you begin to look for uh, what we would call a faithful biblical gospel preaching church. They're faithful to the word of God and to his commands. And if you were to get online, resources like Nine Marks, the Gospel Coalition, and other resources, even other families of churches, you'll find that the majority of gospel preaching, biblically faithful churches are in the north side of San Antonio. So if you look on a map, I, I wish I had it here. If you stay afterwards, there's an interest meeting and there's a picture um, and it's just the inner loop. So San Antonio has an outer loop, 1604, and an inner loop, 4, 410. And I just did the inner loop, really. And you'll see, there. I put blue crosses where you could see where at least some of these churches are. And it's downtown and north. North side. The south side of San Antonio has been neglected for many years, both in, in business, in social development, you go around even looking for some really nice parks. There's a couple. There's not many. And even neglected in the form of church presence. In recent years, there has begun a revitalization of the south side, specifically the southeast side of San Antonio in an area called Brooks City Base. It used to be Brooks Air Force Base, so if there's any Air Force folks old, a little bit older in here, you might have been there before, uh, Brooks Air Force Base. And over the last several years, Brooks Air Force Base is no longer an Air Force Base, it is just Brooks City Base, and they've built apartments and housing and businesses in that Air Force Base, that old Air Force Base. And, and around this area, um, it's been good for the area. It's brought in businesses and jobs and some housing for folks. And it is around that area, the southeast San Antonio, inside Loop 410. It's about a five, a little over a five-minute drive if you hop on the highway from downtown to this area. And it's around this area. As you know, we can aim at an area, but who knows where the Lord's going to put us, right? So we're aiming for this area. We believe we have a heart for this particular area. And it's a community of about 28,000 people. Now, it's still San Antonio. It's not another city. It's San Antonio. But it's this community of kind of merged I was going to say divisive, not divisive, but just different, differing cultures and people um, with very few churches. As we drove through and just began praying, Lord, aim us. Where do you want us? Lord, give us a, a Romans 15 burden that we, we want to take the gospel where people haven't heard the faithful gospel and applied it to every aspect of the life because we know the gospel permeates every part of our lives. And so we want to go there, Lord. Lead us there. Take us there. And we begin to drive through this area and we, we, we were like, man, this is a, we love this area. It's not like super fancy. It's not, it's not the north side, you know. It's average. It's batting 235, you know. It's kind of average there, but we like it. And, and we began to just look around and pray. And, and as we're praying and driving, my wife turns to me. She says, babe, have you seen a church? Have you seen a church building? And all of a sudden, I thought, I, I really haven't. Let's, let's keep driving. And over the course of many months, we began doing research. And, and there are churches in the area, a, a few Very, very few. So I would say this is an area of little to no gospel presence. As you drive through the area that we're looking at, it's almost like I break it up into three, three areas, and I'm about to be done, I promise, brothers and sisters. You break it up into three areas, and I'll, I'll be sharing more for anyone who wants more detail or has questions afterwards. Um, 
But as you're driving through, you begin to just see the merging of culture, the merging of people. There's an older area that's right around Mission San Jose. I love to go there and just sit there, pray, and, and do Bible study. Zach Van Wright, who's with us on the church plant, him and I have been there just doing Bible study one time. It was, it was so cool, uh, just sitting there, this old mission. And, and we're there, and surrounding that area, it's, it's a lower-income area, but lots of people. And then you drive just a little bit down the road, down this kind of main road that goes through this whole area, and, and then all of a sudden you have the Brook City Base area, which is, which is being developed, and there's like five apartment complexes and new buildings and hospitals, and, 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 and then you're driving through, and there's places to eat, and it just feels way more urban, and there's this beautiful park in the middle of it that already our church planting group we will gather at and we'll pray and 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 so there's 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 this beautiful park in the middle and then you drive to the stoplight and immediately you're met by someone who's poor and homeless and you just get all of that as you're driving through and you've crossed through that stoplight and you go to the next neighborhood and it's this kind of suburban type neighborhood of of housing filled with families And then you take a, a right, and there's the biggest trailer park I've ever seen in my life. All of that, a little bit of every kind of just group of people merged into a mile radius, in a sense. And it's beautiful. I love it. A real quick story. I was with a brother in our group, in our church planting group, and we were praying under a tree. We call it the anointed tree, we, jokingly. We pray under it. It just gives us really good shade, basically, in the middle of a really hot day. Uh, and we're, we're praying under there, and we're just praying and asking the Lord, Lord, give us your heart. Give us your heart for the lost, Lord. Help us to love what you love. Help us despise what you despise, that we would flee from sin. And then, Lord, lead us to sheep, Lord. Lead us to sheep who've never heard your voice. And then lead us to sheep who are discouraged. And as we're praying this, we're, we're done, and we're just praising the Lord. And we, begin, we get up, and we're beginning to walk to our vehicles, and we take probably five steps. And all of a sudden, I see a guy walking that I, I recognize from a previous time there, just walking and praying. And we, we had nodded, you know, at one another just in passing. And this, this man, this 50-year-old Hispanic man, he's walking up. And, and I just say, hey, my friend, I, I, I've seen you here before. This is a great place to come and walk, isn't it? And he says, he says yeah, yeah, it is. You know, I was actually just praying. I don't even know if God's listening to me. Does anybody even do that in a park? And me and my friend look at this guy and we, we look at each other like, Lord, that was quick, Lord. That was quick. And we look at him and we say, brother, we have an answer for you. Oh, that man's name was John. And John just began to be in tears. And my brother that I was with was able to pray for a need that he have and had, and I was able to pray for his heart that he would know the love of Christ that we sang about and read about in Ephesians 3, that he would know by the power of the Spirit the love of Christ. And we left that day, and about a month ago, I saw that man. I was meeting in the park, and, and he sees me from about 50 yards, and he just is like this, my friend! Hello! And he comes up and he says, Philip, I hadn't seen you for several weeks. I was worried about you. So I started praying for you. And he said, I want you to know God used that day in my life. Because I was doubting Jesus. I was doubting God. And I really didn't know if he was even listening. And then he sent me you guys. And he, had, he said, since then, I have been praying with confidence. He himself said, I hope that one day we're gathering in this park and there's hundreds of us praying and singing to God. Brothers and sisters, praise be to Jesus. And I pray that John, that John that we met that day, by the grace of God and the power of his spirit, caring for that man, I pray that he would be one of the first fruits of the church. And I pray there are many more. 
Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Psalm 127, 1a, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The Lord must build. Brothers and sisters, pray earnestly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your incredible ministry, your incredible power and ability, Lord, to do what we can't even fathom, to do far more abundantly than anything that we ask or think or could even pray. Lord, thank you. And Lord, I do ask, will you stir us? Will you stir your church in this room, in Seguin, in San Antonio, in Midland, in El Paso, in Houston, and in our family of churches, will you stir us towards earnest prayer to share in your heart of compassion for the lost sheep that you desire to call towards you and into you, Lord. And we pray, Father, will you send laborers out into the harvest? And maybe even some here, but we're trusting you. We're trusting you. I know that if no more go other than this one sweet, dear family to us, Lord, you are good. And that is by your sovereign will. And I know that we have a family here praying earnestly for us. But I do pray, will you send? Will you give faith? Will you ignite faith in the heart of some to long to see the gospel go to this place that at times can be overlooked? And will you lead and direct and will you provide for whatever need is necessary to make that move and to go forth in gospel mission. We thank you for your incredible love and kindness upon us. May you be exalted and glorified in your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And his church said, amen. 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 Thank you, brothers and sisters.